0: but it's okay, you try and you see, but only do things you're comfortable with because I think the worst case is like, you do something you weren't comfortable with, it does really well, and then now you feel like you have to keep doing it if it's something that you like genuinely didn't wanna do. So I would just avoid that because then you might get into a little bit
1: of a trap. Hi, I'm Sanira, and I'm a mom of two, a daughter of an immigrant and an unlikely entrepreneur who went from scaling an idea to a nine figure business. Along the way, I learned that less than 2% of female founders ever hit a million in revenue, and I'm on a mission to change that because we should all feel empowered enough to run our lives like we're the CEO. Since I never went to CEO school, I've had to learn it all the hard way. Now I'm sharing it all with you so that you can join us as we discuss the mindset, money, and marketing secrets of the women who have bet big on unconventional paths to their version of success. Grab a seat because class is officially in session. Welcome to CEO School. Welcome to CEO School. Today, I am so excited to introduce a special founder, another powerhouse, female South Asian founder, Michelle Runabout. Michelle leverages her expertise in the pharmaceutical industry and her background in engineering. And she created a line of just the most beautiful, luxurious skin and hair treatments that honor her South Asian heritage. This is so special to me. I'm gonna tell you why here shortly, but each formulation is composed of the highest caliber Ayurvedic ingredients for transformative skin and hair care results across all types of skin and hair types. Distinguished Ayurvedic and adaptogenic cutting edge activities such as saffron, I'm going to butcher this, ashwagandha, turmeric, Manjishta, amya, and Bukuchi are hand-selected for real results. So amazing Ayurvedic herbs, which I know she's going to talk about here, but the luxurious collection is proven by science and it's rooted in a ritual. She founded the company in 2017, so it's literally only been four years. And Ranavat recently launched into Sephora, into Sephora, y'all, with eight of their best selling products. And the brand also proudly donates 1% of their proceeds to the Desai Foundation, a nonprofit organization in India that empowers women and children through community programs to elevate health and livelihood in India and in the US. And so without further ado, Michelle, welcome to CEO School.
0: Hi. Well, thank you for that amazing, amazing intro. So awesome to be here with you guys. And I'm really hoping you're gonna be able to take away some really valuable insights today.
1: I know that they will. And what's really exciting on this one is I actually, this is my first conversation with Michelle. So you guys are gonna get like, usually sometimes when I bring in these guests into the fireside setting, and into, you know, into this environment, I kind of know a lot more about them. I was just fangirling Michelle on Instagram is how this happened. I had seen her on somebody else had tagged her and my sister-in-law is in the beauty industry as well. I saw Michelle, I saw your post somewhere and I was like, Oh, I love this. And you were, you know, just doing something with your hair and you have beautiful, beautiful, luxurious Indian hair. And I started following you. And then I learned that you're an entrepreneur and you have all these special, these amazing things that you do, but I just became a, just like a genuine fan, like a genuine, like proud supporter of like, go girl. I love when we see like other women doing incredible things. And of course you are also South Asian. And I loved the kind of like the ritual with the business. And so that is how I sent Michelle a DM. So I slid into her DMS and I said, Michelle, I'd love for you to come tell your founding story. And so glad that you're here.
0: Oh, thank you. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. So tell us about your journey. I mean, like where, did how did this, how did you come up with your product offering? Tell us about your background and then how did you like now land a partnership with Sephora?
0: Well, okay. So it's, it's definitely been quite a journey to get from conception to Sephora, but really where it all starts, which I think you know many entrepreneurs dig into themselves and who they are. So this is truly an authentic journey being a first generation South Asian American and watching my parents immigrate to the US. I mean, obviously I wasn't there at that time, but in the seventies and growing up, you know, in a small town in Milwaukee, my parents, they filed income below the poverty level you know in those early days and they were just trying to figure out how to build a new life and i was really a part of those struggles the day that my mom found out she was pregnant with me my dad had lost his job and he didn't have like a crazy super high paying job but obviously you know at that point everything was really really critical and so in that moment he kind of leaned on you know what he had learned from his parents was you know to to be a modest business person and so my dad started his own company In the basement of our home in milwaukee wisconsin and really didn't take a dollar from anyone i mean i don't think he anyone had anything to give him anyway and he just started you know brick by brick and i just watched that growing up and i think i may not have had access to all the you know amazing you know prep schools or high-end preschools that many people have but you know watching my dad you know, run that business, start it from those humble beginnings on cold calling his clients, like that truly resonated and had like the biggest impact on my career for sure.
1: I love that, and that story speaks so dearly to my heart. I don't know if you could see on my wall right here; it says "You have it," and it's from like it's like a little quote. My dad used to always tell me that I have it. It's like. This lightning bolt he passed away two years ago he was also an entrepreneur so my like true inspiration has always come from like we share a very similar uh backgrounds in being first generation my parents where i always say we're entrepreneurs out of necessity and i see the world in entrepreneurship today and it's poised to be like it's it's they they show entrepreneurship in a different lens But for our parents, it was truly, that was it. Like there was no other option to the American dream. And so I love that you share that with your dad and got to do, what was his business? It's a chemicals company. So
0: actually later uh, in my career, after I was laid off at Lehman Brothers in 2008, I ended up working with my dad. I have two different engineering degrees. So I ended up studying science and was very sort of interested in manufacturing, bringing ingredients to life, understanding quality learning about the manufacturing process. And my dad actually had done that. And I think that's really where my interest kind of came from. So I ended up working with him for six years at his pharmaceutical company or like really ingredient supplier to pharmaceutical companies.
1: That's incredible. I mean, I want to even get into your dad's story of how he even got into that. You know, work, like being, you know, in the in the labor market, and then ending up building a pharmaceutical ingredient company. That's incredible. What a beautiful role model that you have, and the opportunity that you got to work with your dad. How did Ranavat come to life? And am I pronouncing that correctly? What's like the proper way to say it?
0: Yeah, Ranavat. Okay, and what does it stand for?
1: It's my last name. Okay.
0: So yeah, nothing like super creative, but Rana means king and Vat means place or palace. So it really does kind of speak to the history of, you know, what Rana Vat means, which is like really like elevated, luxurious, absolutely taking inspiration from those kings and queens of India that once ruled and thinking about how they just wanted to elevate their self-care.
1: Okay. I love that. And I love that you named your company after you. I think that's so powerful and something that women, like, that's not something that usually I see in women founded companies is like just saying, I'm going to name it after me. And I know this because of like law firms, like I have a lot of uh, female lawyer friends. And when they are thinking about company names, they're, you know, most legal firms have like last names as like blank and blank associates or blank and blank, whatever. And for women, we don't tend to do that we want to part, like we, they're, they'll partner in on firms when then, when it's their own firm, they're not putting their own name up front. And and I think it's so cool that you're like, there's nothing special. It's my last name and it's my product's name. So how did it come about? So tell me the founding story of Ranaba.
0: So, you know, as I said, really the idea of entrepreneurship was a hundred percent, sort of built into me in a way just by watching that story. So it always felt like something that I wanted to explore. After being laid off in 2008, I sort of felt like working with my dad was really being a business owner because it was his company. And so I really didn't feel the huge itch to be an entrepreneur myself, but I always had that idea planted in my head. But ultimately, you know, really what connected the dots for me was after having my two sons, I experienced a lot of postpartum hair loss. And I started to think about, whoa, you know, and this is of course like entering mid 30s or th- early 30s, you know, it was pretty, it's basically between like 31 and 35 that I was going through all this. And I just like didn't really feel like myself. I, and a side note, had always been a pretty active Bollywood dancer and Indian dance performer, just kind of on the side as something that I was really into. So that actually like doing stage makeup and like the skin and all of the like Indian eyes and all of that, like I was just so into that because that was something that I like was so passionate about on the side, had performed at so many different, I mean, from Lincoln Center to different cultural programs around the world. It It was really exciting. I mean, it was totally like yeah, on the side, definitely, but it was really at a professional level in many ways. And, and that community of, of women and girls that I, I Uh, started with actually many of them have become entrepreneurs like one's a founder of ClassPass another one is I don't know if you know Modi Toys like there's so it's so funny that we actually ended up a lot of us ended pursuing this but I was going to say you should
1: connect with Pyle but obviously you guys
0: are already friends so that's perfect yeah yeah so we met dancing Bollywood I mean this is before way before she I mean this is like in 2000 for that we that we connected. So but the point of me bringing all that up is like I just always had this like cultural connection and for me it wasn't really the food or anything like that it was absolutely dance and that's when I fell in love with like skin and skincare and makeup and I was always into it and then fast forward when I started having kids I just started to notice like I didn't feel like myself again like I wasn't dancing like I was before and I felt like my hair was thinning and I just didn't really recognize that person and I felt that I had lost a lot of like who I was through that journey and then I think this like after having the two boys I felt this sort of space of like okay I've, I've been in that mode building my family for a long time and now I really want to do something that is for me. And I, and I think really my dad's business was very much for me. I didn't feel that I was not doing something and that I didn't love, but I really was digging into like, what did my ancestors do for this, you know, for their hair or how did they tackle this issue? And, and especially going through postpartum, there's so many herbs and things that you eat and you realize like man these these really work this is awesome coming from the pharmaceutical clinical side i felt that i wanted to prove that out because a lot of times one you know my dream at that time was like man i just think these ingredients are so amazing they make me feel like myself again everyone should have access this stuff should be in sephora and like that was my like light bulb moment which is kind of cool to sort of see that phrase that was just like in my head as like a dream or thought, like actually, you know, become a reality just recently. And, but but it wasn't really about any one goal. I think Sephora to me at that moment just meant like, if Indian beauty treatments are on the shelf, like that means something and that means accessibility. And that means like that goal has been reached.
1: That's so incredible. And so inspiring. I think it's, it's beautiful, the entire journey and just building something and that you were, you know, I love that you were passionate about it, right? I mean, that's usually how every entrepreneurial story begins. Either you're solving a problem or you're, you know, you're obsessed with something and you're like, Hey, I know this thing works and it's working for me. I want to get this in the hands of others. And when you talked about just postpartum with the kids, I mean, I think a lot of women, relate to that. Like, I think like, let's like every one of us that have been moms all relate to that. I specifically remember after Mila was born, I felt like I was like literally going like my hair was so, and it's not, and it's not back, you know, like it's, it's not the same. And I haven't tried your oils yet. And so I'm really excited, but all the Ayurveda and all the things that like, I remember after giving birth, my mom, my mother-in-law, like everyone comes over and gives you all of these things. So for those that are not South Asian or have like know a little bit about that, you know, and I'd love for you to maybe educate us a little bit on these herbs and things like that. But all I remember is after I gave birth, somebody was shoving something down like me that I had to drink that I had to put in milk, lots of turmeric, lots of this, lots of that. And it does like there's there's a lot of like science that backs all of this. And I, and, it, and it did help. It did help with like my, my milk creation. It did help with like healing. It did help with so many different things. And so I'd love for you to kind of tell us and educate us a little bit, but it's so funny. It's like bringing me back full circle in like my postpartum journey.
0: No, I love to hear that. I mean, I think we can all relate just on a human level that, you know, these traditions passed on from generation to generation, like absolutely have value. And I think what I really wanted to see is it go beyond the South Asian community and really Mm -hmm. have other people experience just like something like yoga or meditation. It doesn't really you know, have anything to do with what your background is. These are amazing tools that can help anyone. And then the other thing I felt, and there's like reasons that I really positioned my brand or it is a very luxurious brand is because I wanted to kind of Prove a few things. One, I wanted to prove that culturally driven brands could also be luxurious. A lot of times you see, you just sort of stripping out, like if it's culturally built or the origins are super clear, it has to be only in the accessible category. And for me, I feel like Ayurveda is such a big space. I want to create room for other people. And I knew that I wasn't going to be the only person. So I wanted to create what I felt was really luxurious to me. So that's the artisans and the the richness of the history and the ingredients like saffron that I feel like are so, I mean, it's more expensive by weight than gold. And I, I really wanted to like create through that lens and I didn't really want to feel limited. But a lot of people always feel like, oh, well, if you're a culturally driven brand, that means it should be you know, accessible. And I don't think that's true. I think that, you know, luxury is way beyond a price point. I mean, if anything, luxury is a feeling that you get and something to prove to a customer, not the customer having to prove to you. And so that was number one. And I think the second thing is a lot of times people come in and they say, like, you know, I can just imagine like a grandma making a mask like that doesn't, you know, why would I do that versus go to the dermatologist? Well, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do one or the other, but just because you discovered gravity a long time ago doesn't mean gravity is like irrelevant now. Like these, just because it's old doesn't mean it's outdated. And what we did is with my background in science and also like in the pharma space, we actually ran uh, clinical trials on three of our products. And I mean, the results are insane, you know, whether it's like fine lines and wrinkles claims or brightening claims, we were able to get it all. And I think that's just proof that just because it's plant-based or just because it doesn't have like some type of chemical ingredient name or something attached to it means it's not going to work. Like really, there is an, a measurable impact. And so I really wanted to prove that old doesn't mean outdated. Cultural doesn't mean not luxurious, you know, and and just sort of, write this story the way I wanted to see it.
1: So incredible. There are so many things that I know like our audience here, a hundred percent, like a hundred percent, all of our messaging and especially for female entrepreneurs, like this is it. This is the complete package. The things you said, number one, nothing bad happens when women make more money. Period. And I love that you talked about building a brand with luxury and keeping that in mind and not just talking about accessibility. And I will say, in particular, for cultural products, cultural founders, like it's been ingrained in us to be accessible, right? Because we've always had that level of the marketplace that we've also belonged into and not into the luxurious market as well. And so there's so much like history and psyche and the way that our decision making is made. I think it's so beautiful that you are like, I'm going to challenge that. I'm going to go build the brand that I want to purchase, that I want to have. I want to be a category leader, and my category is going to be in luxury. And to prove out that just because you are a cultured brand does not mean that you need to have accessibility. That it can be, you know, a luxurious item. And I am just I'm so impressed with that. I think that that is such a beautiful, beautiful way to view that, and beautiful way to view business. And I hope that everyone that's listening today can take a piece of that and say, how do you challenge things? Right. And as women, sometimes we're so quick to discount. That's like the first thing that we do. And it's not just a culture problem. This is a total all femme psyche that we have is that we associate money with bad, right? There's, we associate that if it's more expensive, if it's more whatever that people are not going to, are not going to gravitate towards it. So we're always looking to discount first ourselves and our worth and our products And I see this time and time again from all entrepreneurs. I also see this, this is a struggle that we all personally, like I personally have gone through in the companies that I've created as well. And so I think it's super kudos and such a beautiful reminder that truly you can define the terms of your brand. Like it is, you're doing it, Michelle. I'm so, I'm so impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. So now what, right? So how, how did this fall? So tell me about like the growth part of it. Cause I think that that's the part that um, gets missed. There's so many entrepreneurs here that are, that, that are listening. You know, we get 50,000 downloads on our episodes. Like, tell me the tactical part of it. When did you know, like that, this was like, how did you build your first product? Like, give me some of the tactical, right? So how did you build it? What was the first few sales? Like, how did you scale it? So give us like the meat from like not start and not success. What happened in the middle? Well, I mean, I think,
0: you know some people's middle are other people's beginnings and and vice versa, and so I think what I might you know I might say getting ten orders a day is really successful, and someone might think that's a complete failure, so I think it really just one depends on what your goals are and your objectives and I think for me, my goal has always been about the customer and really. If customers are coming back, if we have a super engaged community and people are consistently repurchasing and loving the product, then I think I've done my job. And no matter if I get one order or a thousand, like that's really the focus because that's where I want to grow from. And if something's not perfect, I want to be able to fix that on a small level. I think a lot of times there's this big focus on like, oh, I want to reach this you know, milestone. And a lot of times those milestones are predicated on, I don't know, just like, yeah, whether it's like, you know, monetary or number of orders. And I think that that is like a result that comes. You make money when you do the basic things right, which is like make your customer really happy. So how do you measure customer happiness? And I think that's really what I think everyone needs to ask themselves. And especially, I mean, I'm looking at some of the questions here and I think there's a lot of people are hitting on it, right? Like one person said, you know, how do you build like that authenticity online? And how do you, you know, especially as like a brand founder or business? And I think that's a critical question that anyone that's in CPG should be asking themselves today because we are not anymore in the mode of transaction. I think that that's been there, done that, like when there was big TTC brands, it was all about just like buying something that spoke to us from a visual standpoint, because people were posting photos on Instagram. Now it's like video, who's behind the brand? Do I care about this person? Who's the founder? People just want to connect. They just want deeper relationships out of the things they do. If they're going to buy something, they'd rather buy something that they care about the brand founder, that they know about the story or that their friend told them about. And so I think we all have really incredible stories to share. It's not about building a fake narrative, but it's really about coming from a place of what does my customer want? And just being an active listening. You're not gonna know every answer on the first day you open your Instagram page, like you're not going to. But you have to try different things and then pay really close attention on who's buying, what's working and start digging in there and really answer the questions that they wanna hear. I mean, if people are asking you how to use a certain product consistently, like just, Dig into that. But also, you know, you want to balance it a bit with sharing that founder story, taking people a little bit behind the scenes, engaging in that community. I just think that it all comes from a place of care. If you care about them, they'll care about you.
1: I absolutely love that. And that's what you did, right? You showed up every day. You showed up consistently. You listened to your customers take me still back. Like, I still want to know on like, how did you like, what happened when the prototype, like, tell me a little bit about the building phase of it. Cause there's so many entrepreneurs that get stuck in that element that might get started, that might get the first few pieces out there and then they get stuck and then they stop. So I'd love to kind of dig a little bit into that journey element of tell me a little bit about the prototyping. And then when did you go to manufacturing? Give us a little bit of that tactical, like scale part of the business.
0: So when I initially I knew that I wanted to bring these products to life, I immediately went to India and started to dig into Ayurveda because I was not in an Ayurvedic and still I'm not an Ayurvedic expert. And so I really decided like, okay, so I want to just immerse myself, get on the ground and really do some learning. So I started to do that, learned about ingredients and realized that This was an issue of ingredient sourcing, which is actually something I did at my dad's company for so many years and finding these incredible pharmaceutical ingredients and what the highest quality was. And so then I realized I knew how to solve that problem and I knew how to vet manufacturers. So oddly enough, like the people that I met that first trip to India are the people that I'm still working with today. So I have multiple manufacturers all located in India and we have an ayurvedic doctor on the team there i am formulating all the products but where we started you know and where we ended up are totally two completely different things even in working with the same manufacturers i have like learned so much about elevating the formulas i mean i think we started out with six different products there were three masks that were like powder masks and then i had three like mists or hydrosols and the idea was to like custom create a little like mask that you would make and that was okay like it did well but as I started to learn I wasn't afraid to kind of scrap those and completely repackage and recreate the brand and then I think I started to launch new products and saw those taking off like our saffron serum or hair oil and then I saw like okay this is really interesting but now my outer packaging doesn't really match that level of luxury so then I started to go into custom you know, just the the elevation of what that product packaging was like and that full from our custom boxes to the you know the drawer I mean everything is like so meticulously created and I started to like rebuild that so Where I started totally different for where I ended up, and I think that's a really important piece of the journey.
1: I love that. Were you self-funded? Can you tell us a little bit about like the funding journey of it? So, how did you fund all of this? Did you get investors? Are you seeking investment? Tell us a little bit about like the 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 finances.
0: So, I had about thirty thousand dollars. Well, I mean, I had some savings from the banking days, but thirty thousand dollars is what I initially started the business with, and I, I was. Fine with that, just like kind of getting it off the ground. I didn't have any social media platforms or anything. Like, I think if you're an influencer starting a brand, it's like you probably need less because the moment you launch your product, you're probably going to be selling because you already have like, you know, a, a dedicated stream. But I didn't have that. So my growth was pretty slow and steady from the beginning. And it did take about two years to reach profitability. I never really spent cumulatively more than like $250,000, I would say, before we hit profitability.
1: How are you marketing, right? So I, I think there's some questions on here on what was your first marketing campaign? How were you reaching your customers? And then how do you reach your customers today? Okay. So
0: first in terms of like, how do we reach our customers or like, what was our initial, that time it was through retail. So my first customers were like Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom and really, I mean, first, first, like I launched at a trade show and in that trade show, I met four or five people, all of which are people that like totally changed my business. And that trade show, Indie Beauty Expo is like not even around anymore. So I think that's really interesting that anyway, that I launched there. And at that time, you know, I didn't, again, like I didn't have this like social following or anything. So I thought, Establishing my credibility through major retailers, and especially in the luxury space, an account like Neiman Marcus, was really the best way to go. So like landing there, it was huge. I think we were the first Ayurvedic brand to launch there. and and I still work with them today. and the, but the people that I met at Neiman Marcus, she ended up starting this other company and, and her and I have like worked together for a really long time growing the business across multiple other channels too so the first day it was interesting like i got to meet all these industry people at this indie beauty expo so that was like my tactical first launch day and then from there it was really through those retail channels retail was about i don't know 80 percent of my business then i started to really gain traction online and then again it was like really through social media that people got to know about my product And of course, you know, it did have distribution at Neiman Marcus. I think that helped. I did invest pretty heavily in PR as well, because again, luxury positioning, you need to have, make sure that Vogue is talking about you, make sure that all of these, you know, like all the high-end media outlets, like they need to be talking and substantiating your product. So I invested pretty heavily in PR when I didn't really have you know, a ton of sales to substantiate it. I didn't go with the most expensive agency, that's for sure. But I did like the right amount. And then in the third year, I started to see profitability. And then last year was like amazing, just kind of seeing that growth and and we'll see what happens this year. What's next? Well, so to kind of answer your question on funding. So I don't, I'm not, so I did say no to a couple investors just this past year when I was thinking about it. And I was just thinking like, look, when I was not profitable, that might have been the time to take investment, but now I'm profitable, I really don't, I mean, this was like, had I needed them, I would have needed them two years ago, now that they're all calling me, I'm like, well, I actually Don't really feel like it's the right fit. But I'm friendly with with everyone in the community. So from big strategics that have been reaching out to uh, VC investors, like I always have the conversation and it's great. Like I I keep in touch and I learn something, and maybe they learn something from me. But you never know in the future. I just feel that at the moment, I can do everything I want to do. So I hired um, a team. And we've been able to invest in influencer marketing, which we haven't really like launched yet fully, but also paid media. And so if I'm being able to, if I'm able to grow my brand and invest, then I don't really think I need to, to have any, you know, financial partner for the moment.
1: I love that. And I think that's, that's truly like you define your own path, right? I think that, and there are, you don't. You don't have to be profitable. Right. And so you can go down and, and, you know, to go invest and go get, you know, investment dollars to go scale at a different level. But you don't have to. What's amazing about when you do become profitable is that you control your own destiny. You get to make that choice. You get to decide, hey, do I want to take on external capital or you don't need to? I mean, for me, I had two very different paths in business. You know, at Stacks, I'm a technology company, Venture kind of like came alongside to build software. It's so extremely expensive to hire engineers and developers. And just that path was just, I needed to get capital to go build a platform to go connect to like Visa, MasterCard, and all of the things that we do. And so I couldn't do it without capital. So that was a very different journey. And. I don't know if I do it again. Like, I think that that was a path for this, but I think for other, like for CEO school, like this is a really tiny team and it's not something that I'm looking to go get investment to scale. It's, it's, it's the impact that I want to make. I want to do it on my terms. I want to do it with my, resources so that I get to control what I want to control. And when you bring on investors, that changes, right? That a hundred percent changes because you have somebody else's dollar, somebody else also, even if they're a minority stakeholder, I've gone through every single journey in that. And it's not bad either. So I will say that it's neither good, it's neither bad. It's just a different path for the company. I think what you said about like becoming profitable and then deciding it's amazing because it's on you now. So if you decide that you do have like a strategic partner, right? That's like, this might make complete sense to take on a certain capital partner because it adds like extra strategic value and you're excited about that partnership, then that could make sense. But you have the ability to walk away and say you don't want it either. And so I think you're in like just the best position and how you've thought about building the brand from that fundamental element is amazing. A lot of founders make a ton of mistakes in getting there. I made so many mistakes. I did not do all of the things that you're talking about, you know, right now. So I think it's amazing that you were able to build it with the right foundations in place for scale. It's really exciting. And you're based out of LA now. So how can we support you, Michelle? I know. And tell us a little bit more about the product, right? Like who is it for? How can we support you? We want to get the message out about your product everywhere
0: of course well one thing i'll just end on with the with the funding thing i mean i think it just depends on what your goal is in your journey right like there's some people that are like i want to be like what money does buy you in many ways is time so you can do things a lot faster like if i said i wanted every you know i want to be a household name in three months well yeah i probably need some money to start doing that and really amplify if i'm willing to wait three years to do that, then yeah, I probably could do it on my own. So I think it really depends on what your goal is. Do you want to sell your business? That's a huge, any VC investment that you get, they are only going to make money if they monetize. So if you do not want to sell your business, I highly recommend that you make sure that you guys are all on the same team and you have the same goals. So I would really think of looking, you know, and those term sheets, and my husband's a CFO at a tech company. So, and he used to be in private for many years. So like he really, understands those term sheets. And when I was looking at some of the governance and you got to be really careful, like essentially sometimes what taking money can mean is like, I built this business, it's profitable now. And they're going to tell me what my salary is. And they're going to march me until I sell my company. And it's like, if you're, you want to do that and you have this awesome partner, that's going to pay for you to do those things, then great. That sounds like a great fit. If you're someone that doesn't want to be on a salary and just wants to like make the profit of the company and hold on and not sell then it's not a good idea so i really think you have to make sure that you're playing on the same team you do not want to hate your investors like that's a really awkward place to be in and they can ultimately control your destiny depending on what the governance is so make sure you don't just look at the money in and money out what do you have to run by them Super important. So anyway, chatting about LA and where you can find me. I mean, obviously we talked about this, but like online, I'm always excited to connect. I'm like starting to grow my TikTok, which is like a whole new experience, but. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to get in now in TikTok? um, It's like 110%. Like that's everyone that has any business. Yeah. I mean, it's already getting too saturated way. Like it's, it's, it's already late. Not too late to still do it, but it's I wish I had done it and grown earlier. But I think it doesn't matter once you figure out the formula. It's it's a place for authenticity, which I know I'm like drinking the Kool-Aid of TikTok a little bit, but it shouldn't be, quote unquote, hard. Yes, it does take time and an investment, but it's really just sharing the human side of who you are and connecting with the community that you want to connect with and thinking about it that way versus like, trying to prove anything to anyone. I mean, Instagram is way more toxic. Instagram is more, who do you know? These are your friends. These are not your friends. I got invited to this thing. I didn't get invited to that thing. It's not really what TikTok is about. So I would say very important platform for everyone to be focusing on, but yes, so you can see me. So I'll show you, this is like my, it's like almost done. You can tell like how much I use these things, but these are my two I mean, I love all my products, of course, but I love the saffron. These are like the saffron serum and the saffron mask. I just think they're super unique and really beautiful to look at. I just did a video that shows a little ritual that I do with the facial polish. And then I go in with the AHA saffron mask and then I top it off with the serum super glowy absolutely love it we also have like little minis which i think is important for people that are thinking you know one person asked a little bit about luxury positioning just because your price is more one it needs to be substantiated so like my product like this has five grams of saffron in every bottle like this cost me a lot more than a target serum cost to make so for sure you have to like there should be a reason that your price their price point's expensive also all of our imagery all of our packaging like i definitely spend a lot more to bring my brand to life because it's a luxury brand so you know there's all that you have to invest you can't just like say luxury but then not put all the money behind it to it and create that experience so so yeah i would say glow that's my favorite go-to glow ritual and then we have minis which are really fun because it gives people that accessibility and because i didn't want to dilute my product to reach a wider audience, but I did want people to experience the brand at all price points. I think luxury doesn't have to do necessarily with like something that someone quote-unquote can't afford. So we have things that are like, you know, 15 to $20 range. I mean, it's like a lot smaller, but at least you get to experience the product. Because for me, I, I never wanna dupe anyone to buy anything. Like start out small, start with the mini, see how it changes your skin and then like dive deep.
1: I love it. And what about for the hair? Because I think a lot of the women also can benefit from that. And your hair is, for those that are going to listen in on this, Michelle's hair is breathtaking. So essentially,
0: I mean, I have some before and afters, but really the whole idea is hair oiling. So wanting to start and take care of your scalp first. So every week, I mean, I only shampoo once a week. It really depends on your thickness of your hair, but I do like a nice hair oiling, kind of like a scalp massage or scalp facial treatment. So starting over here, really using this oil to massage it. And then you can use a little bit of this oil. It smells, smells like jasmine flowers. It takes 2000 pounds of jasmine flowers to make one ounce of our oil. So it's really sort of luxurious and special in that way. And then I sort of just run it through My hair to shape it and give it some shine so you can really use it in a few different ways, you know one is that like overnight hair mask and the other way is just kind of smoothing it all over and giving it some nice like perfume and shine.
1: So beautiful, and this is so exciting I know all of us can't wait to get our hands on it, many of the women here are already using your products. I think it's so incredible. Your beautiful journey. Are you shipping internationally? Like, how are you logistically doing this? Because so I would ask two questions as a consumer and then also as a business. Did you start small? Like where were you shipping at first? And now how are you like scaling that? Yeah, that's an awesome question because it's been really interesting. So I started
0: in my office. This is like four years ago and I actually had have a couple reels, Instagram reels on this, but like I started my office, moved into the garage, moved into a warehouse, now we're moving into a 3PL. So we're just about transitioning because we're experiencing a lot of growth and I hope continued growth we need to move to 3PL. And I'm sure if we continue to grow even more, we might then like bring it back in house. So it really sort of is just gonna give us a little more room to scale. This warehouse that I moved to exactly a year ago, it's like, you can't even really walk into it anymore. It's so packed and and especially with supply chain, like we have to keep six to eight months worth of inventory now because it takes that long to get things before we might've needed like, two to three months of inventory so you know the amount of space that things take up is just like so much more significant and and with luxury packaging like our boxes don't compress so we have like rigid boxes it takes up So much space, but yeah, started out really literally in my office and, you know, we're moving on to next journey. And then, you know, for international, we, we ship all around the world from roundabout.com. We are launching in 252 Sephora doors in the fall, which I'm really looking forward to coming to a Sephora near you. And then from international perspective, we just launched at Harrods in the UK, we have an amazing distributorship in Europe with lots of like really key department stores, really thinking about, you know, the right homes for us. And then I'm hoping my goal is to launch. We might launch at like Holt through in Canada and then also having our own UK warehouse. That's like the goal.
1: So incredible. We're here for all the success. Before we let you hop, I do want to run through a f- like a quick rapid fire of questions is what we like love to do just to get to know you a little bit. So I'm going to start with, are you an animal lover? Do you have a dog or a cat? Don't have
0: no, no animals. Although I do love them because I'm vegetarian, but I don't like have any pets. You have no pets. I don't have any pets right now either. High tech or low tech? Medium tech. Like I do not like being inundated with too many messages. Like I feel like between like Slack and DM and people texting me and, email like it's just sometimes it's a little overload and i'm not a fan
1: i love it work hard
0: or play hard i mean both but oh yeah you have to i mean of course i definitely would have to say both i feel like there's just times where i probably you know you just can't can't get enough playing in in the mix but absolutely ready to work when it needs to happen journal or meditate None. I don't do any of that stuff. I mean, I like like the idea of it, but like I just no, I don't know. I'm not working out would probably be the thing that I do. So I work out about like three times a week. And like now that like the this is doing a little bit better. Like before I just felt like I couldn't spend money on anything because I was like, oh my God, I just like can't spend any money. And then I didn't have time so I was like working so hard I didn't hire anyone. And but now I like actually invested in uh it's actually not that expensive Have like a personal trainer three days a week and that's like living life like i feel good comes to my house 40 bucks i get my workout in and i just feel like i did something that's like my meditation
1: I love that. I love that. And I love that you talked about like putting your dollars back into your business and working hard. And that's it too. I think that that's like what I'm, I get really frustrated about the internet. I'm like an angry person inside on like on entrepreneurship. The internet fucking fools us. Like that's not, entrepreneurship. Like that's not entrepreneurship. This is entrepreneurship. Even at the success level that you have at the success level, my, my kids literally like on the floor here eating McDonald's right now. Cause oh, okay. we miscommunicated on pickup time. Like that happened today. Right. And that happens. And this is entrepreneurship. So I love that. Okay. Next question is, do you have a favorite, like, like something you're obsessed with right now? Like, what are you obsessed with? Inter- oh, podcast book? That's
0: the thing I haven't like I feel like I don't have so much time to consume too many different things I have to like really think about what I'm, I mean I've been so so lame but like Indian food so I've been like eating a lot of Indian food like just kind of keeping things like easy, but healthy but like makes me feel kind of like, Ooh, there's like something interesting that I don't get to eat all the time. So just like having Indian food pretty regularly over the last like couple of months has been really nice. And I don't
1: know, I feel like I'm into it. Do you have like a, a favorite, like female inspiration or somebody that you really look up to maybe a brand that you really look up to? Oh, oh man. I have a lot of different brand. I mean, honestly though,
0: and I don't mean to be cheesy, but I would say like all of you guys, I think it's, Really inspiring to have like a awesome community everyone's cheering each other on like I personally have a group of three women and we have like a really lame name it's called like the triple C crew because it's like could have. Some I don't know why actually something about Cabo we were all supposed to go to Cabo waiting anyway so like then the pandemic hit, but we have this triple C crew. We meet up every three weeks we have our vision boards we share our vision boards and we each talk each other through those points and those challenges and they're not like I don't think any of us are like widely successful that we like chose each other we're all actually just like friends and in different disciplines some one person is like stay-at-home mom that's like delving into different things like super great like a McKinsey consultant anyway we have like totally like many of them actually all of us have done our vision board accomplished things on our vision board and it's pretty powerful so that's why I say all of you guys and all of your communities like things actually happen, I'm not kidding you. Like my friend that I meet like in my triple C crew, she wrote, she's a cancer survivor. She wrote Moonshot to Cancer, like on her vision board randomly, like eight months ago. She got a call like last week and was like, you wanna go to the White House for the Moonshot for Cancer Initiative? Out of like, I swear nowhere. And then even with them, I, Sephora had like sounded like it wasn't going to happen. And Ulta was like really calling me and Ulta was like, oh my God, you like, we really want your brand. I was like, well, Ulta wants me like, why wouldn't I just do that? And then my friends were like, well, Michelle, wasn't Sephora on your vision board? Like, and they kept like hounding me. They were like, why, why was it on your vision board? And why wasn't the other? And I was like, guys, who cares? They don't want me. Ulta wants me. I'll switch my vision more. I'm like, I don't care. And they were like, no, you need to reach out to this lady again. There was a reason. And then obviously like it happened. And so I just think it's super key and like real things happen. So I'm really proud of you guys for being part of this group.
1: I love that. And honestly, today I was on another a workshop. I literally showed my, my vision board sits on my desktop and I literally showed my vision board and it's May and I've literally, everything has come to fruition or is like one step away or it's already happening. And it's not like you just throw it out there. And that's not, that's the power of like, it's not the vision board. You didn't just write, you wrote it and it didn't. And yes, there's some cosmic luck that's probably there too but it's strategy as well, right? It's all of the things that it takes because you're like paying focus attention to go achieve these things and bring them in your sphere. And so I absolutely love that reminder. And that was it. That was the last rapid fire question. Michelle, where can we find you? And can you tell us a little about the websites? We can link everything for all of the lovely ladies.
0: Oh yeah, I can just put good old com in there and then we're also on support.com and a couple other retailers but i mean i think for me love to connect anyone has any questions i didn't answer i mean angelique you were so sweet you asked so many questions like we should definitely connect anyone that needs anything you know where to find me happy to chat and continue on
1: Thank you so much, Michelle. Before we sign off, I'd love to invite anybody to come on to ask like any one or two quick questions. I know Angelique always has brilliant questions. She's fire. And so Angelique, would you like to come on to ask Michelle a question?
2: Yeah, sure, thanks. I appreciate it, Michelle. I found you because I follow Papa Don't Preach by Chappie, oh, no and she re like she had posted your post about wearing her dress to your Sephora, oh. your Sephora event. So that's how I found you, that's and I okay. immediately fell in love with what you do. And I'm in Toronto, so please come to Holt Renfrew; it would be great. But yeah, I just wanted to say thanks, and both you and Senora, you know, I I respect both of you ladies a lot because I like the way that you guys blend business with with personal. And I think that that's sometimes a struggle when you're trying to build a brand because you're like, how much should I just talk about business? Or how much should I talk about personal? And I feel like that's something that has held me back. So I really appreciate you sharing a little bit about that. I would just love to hear quickly from you, you know, just when you're posting and when you started out, were you posting on a schedule? Or were you just posting kind of like, this is just what I feel like, like, I'm kind of in the stage of like, creating a you know, schedule, but not trying to make it so rigid that it's weird. It's a whole thing.
0: I think, honestly, it's about you and how you thrive, because sometimes when I'm too scheduled, I get uninspired by things because then I think it's too scheduled. And then I'm like, oh, I don't like this because like that's how I felt yesterday. but I don't feel that way. Too. I don't feel like talking about it. But there are other people that are like if it's not scheduled then i don't know what to post and then i post random stuff so i think number one you have to answer like the question on who you are and how you work best so look inside think about what makes you feel good when and how are you creating the best content i do write things down in my notes because a lot of times before i'm going to sleep i'll be like oh my god i this is a great idea And then the next day I won't remember it. So I do always, I have like a little ongoing list and notes about things. And then I did test some stuff out. When you talk about personal and professional, I don't really show my kids on Instagram really ever. And I I did a little bit one time, I forgot which video I did, but I, and then like, it didn't even really do anything. And then I was like, oh, well, this is actually great. Sounds like people don't even wanna hear about it anyway. And that was something that I was hesitant, but it's okay. You try and you see, but only do things you're comfortable with. Cause I think the worst case is like you do something you weren't comfortable with. It does really well. And then now you feel like you have to keep doing it. If it's something that you like genuinely didn't want to do. So
1: I would just avoid that. Cause then you might get into a little bit of a trap.
2: Okay, cool. Thank you.
1: That was such a great answer. I love that. And I'm one of those overly scheduled humans, by the way, Michelle, but I agree with you. I lose my creativity when I'm trying to do things too much on a schedule And the night beast does come. And that's when all the ideas flow. You have to write them down. Always have a notepad next to your bed, or if you're the phone person, that's cool too. But i love the advice and just find your flow, right? That's like the biggest, most important thing and making sure that when you talked about authenticity, you can tell when a founder or a creator is authentic in creating that content or when it's forced very clearly. And like, I can, you guys can probably tell when my content is forced versus when it's authentic and creative. And so finding those moments of when you are creative to just go for it, like keep, I feel like when I'm in creation mode and if it's coming, they usually come, like, it's not like one and done. It's usually like I'm in that zone. And so I just go with, with that flow. So I love that. Everyone, thank you so much for being here with us today. And Michelle, thank you so much for your wonderful time and your brilliance. And we're so excited to continue to support you in any which way possible. You always have a forever home at the CEO school community with us. And hopefully we'll get to meet in person this year. I'll be in LA later on for some things post-summer. So I hope to see you. And if you're ever in Florida, do look me up, but we'll, we'll continue to connect via DMs for now.
0: Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Really
1: appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Hey there. If you enjoyed this week's episode themes and want to go deeper into concepts on mindset, money, and marketing, download our freebie with the five secrets that helped me scale multiple companies to seven figures and beyond. These are the exact skills that will help you get you to your next level. Find it on CEO School's bio on Instagram at CEO School. If you loved today's episode, leave us a review. This is how we grow and reach more incredible entrepreneurs like you. Tell us what you loved about the episode and you'll be entered to win one ticket to our Women in Business Conference this September in Orlando. I can't wait to see you.